Good morning. Wow. Careful about breathing into a mic. Well, it's going to be a lot of chatter in the back, so this will be interesting. I should also mention that today's content might not be super kid-friendly, so this is an interesting mix of events. Um, so obviously, parents, do whatever you got to do. Um, for those of you who don't know me, because I may not be a familiar face, my name is Hannah, and I was one of the pastors at the Abbey. And actually, I want to take a moment to say to all of you at Central Vineyard, just my profound gratitude um, for your hospitality. Ah, it's just normal church activity. Is that better? No, it's fine. Um, thank you so much for your hospitality. Obviously, um, a whole group of us came from the Abbey carrying a bit of grief at the closing of our community, and it has been sweet to find a safe place, actually, among you. So thank you so much. Um, also, it's important for you to know about me that I have professionally, before I was ever a pastor, I had 18 years experience as a mental health counselor. Um, I have specialized with women at the intersection of addiction and trauma. Um, and I say that for a couple reasons. One, that's part of my content warning. It's my lens. It's how I, I, I know that I bring that lens to scripture. And so you deserve to know that when I'm getting ready to talk about scripture. Also, for those of you who are really old school, you might remember me. I was a member of Central Vineyard. Exciting. It's fine. This is great. It takes a village, you guys. Do I need to take my earrings off? Like, got it. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Guys, I don't know. What, what do you want me to do? You want me to hold the mic, the other one? Okay. Is that better if I do that? We'll try it for a minute. We're doing great. Birds, technology. Okay. Thanks, Jamie. Oh. As long as I don't take a deep breath, this is not going to go well. Okay. Anyway, I was a former member of Central Vineyard. This was actually my first church home when I moved back to Columbus after a decade of being away. This was the church um, that carried me through a separation and reconciliation with my husband. Uh, it's a place where I have a lot of fond memories, and I'm forever grateful that this was a church home to me at one point and is again these days. So it's good to be back. So how this came to be, thanks, um, is that in my, in my sort of professional development, my primary work these days, my primary vocation is that I get the privilege of leading a nonprofit called Sanctuary Night. Uh, as Jeff already beautifully spoke to, but we, we are a drop-in center for women on Sullivan Avenue on the west side of Columbus. Housed, um, addicted to street drugs, um, experiencing sexual exploitation. These women come into our space where they get their basic needs met. Um, so food, clothing, they get to shower, see a healthcare provider. They also are provided with some harm reduction tools and education, and then we provide a, just a bridge to treatment if or stability, whatever they're looking for. So 
when I reconnected with Jeff and Central Vineyard, one of the things that happened was he called me and said, hey, how can we get Central Vineyard involved with the work of Sanctuary Night? How, um, you know, and I gave him a variety of ways that I could communicate with all of you. And then he said, what's your favorite way to communicate? And I said, well, I want to preach. So that's why I'm here. And now I'm like, why did I, why did I say that? Um, oh, wow. Okay. So I'm saying all of that up front because while I'm going to be sharing from a passage, passage of scripture, I'm telling you up front that part of my goal is to make you aware of some kingdom work happening in your city and to invite you to prayer over that project, uh, but possibly also with your time and energy. So at least I'm telling you that up front, right? I'm not going to try to bait and switch. Okay. I thought maybe you were coming to fix my mic also. I don't know. <laughs> You know what? I'm happy to, if that would be, okay, hold, hold all of that. One second. Better? Yes? Let's just settle in. Okay. So one of the things that's been happening for me since I have stopped the formal work of being a pastor is that I have just really reconnected and sort of re-fallen in love with scripture. Um, I decided to start from the beginning. I don't know if any of you have Old Testament hesitation or even Old Testament trauma. I'm a lover of the Old Testament and I have, I started in Genesis and I haven't been able to get past Exodus because that book is good. There's so much in there. So, um, this morning, I want to talk to you about Miriam. I want to talk to you about Mary. And I want to talk to you about Nancy. And I'm going to try to keep this short because I really am excited to hand it over to Nancy. Okay, so for those of you who haven't been in the Old Testament in a while, let me give you a quick Exodus overview. Um, Exodus, if it were a movie... And, of course, indeed, it has been turned into multiple movies. In fact, by the way, this morning, Nancy and I were sitting at Cup of Joe right here in your neighborhood, and there's a TV there now, apparently, and they were playing uh, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. I'm not kidding you. I didn't plan that. It just was playing on the TV. So funny. Anyway, so if Exodus were a movie, it is best known for sort of its special effects moments, right? Like a burning bush, a sea that parts... Um, plagues over a land, Moses interacting with God face to almost face. It's sort of a magical book in that way. But there are three essential parts or themes in the book of Exodus. Deliverance, covenant, and presence. Deliverance, covenant, and presence. So again, really briefly, you'll hopefully some of you will remember this. God's people are enslaved in Egypt. Moses is raised up inside the system, ultimately called to lead God, God's people out of Egypt. So God delivers his people, and he uses Moses to steward that project of deliverance. That's chapters like 1 through 15-ish. Covenant. Okay, so this is like chapters 16 through 24-ish. Uh, God establishes his covenant with his delivered people, and it's a covenant that is built on a more neighborly model of economics, one with a, a foundational principle of Sabbath, uh, and it's very different than the Egyptian model. And this was actually quite difficult for God's people. There was some resistance to this model. Even Moses, by the way, the leader, 
uh, it, this was challenging for him. So in chapter 18, one of my favorite chapters in Exodus, Moses gets confronted by his father-in-law, ouch, for trying to do too much, okay? So that's sort of process of covenant. And then presence. So there are lots of descriptions in chapters 25 through 40 uh, of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the altars, the vestments for priests. In fact, when you read these chapters, you probably get bored if you're honest with yourself. Um, it's boring. And by the way, you're not the only one. The people of God also got bored, so bored they built a golden calf, started worshiping that golden calf, yada, yada, yada. I know I'm skipping a lot. The uh, covenant eventually is renewed. Moses' face shines, and we try all of this again with, yet again, the law, Sabbath, and the tabernacle's erected, and its equipment is installed according to God's design. Just took a while to get there. So all of that is context. That's the book of Exodus in a nutshell. All of that is context to zoom in, again, if this were a movie, on one sort of supporting actress role, and that is Miriam. So I'm a really bad uh, millennial, by the way. I still carry, you know, actual Bible and paper. I know. Um, so if you have a Bible, you're welcome to open up to Exodus 15. That's where I'm going to be hanging out here for a minute. So Miriam, if you're not familiar, she's best known in the book of Exodus for two moments. One is actually in Exodus 2, when, um, you know, Pharaoh had ordered that all of the male babies uh, had to be killed, to be murdered. And so Miriam is Moses' big sister, and she uh, makes sure that Moses gets into a basket, into the water, um, and finds a place of safety. And so she's known for delivering Moses in Exodus 2. She's also known after going across the Red Sea, the Egyptians kind of go underwater, um, and they're finally to safety. Miriam is known for leading the Hebrew women in worship. So if you look, just look at Exodus 15, you'll notice that there are 18, the first 18 verses are devoted to what's called the Song of Moses. So he goes on and on and on celebrating the work that God has done. Miriam's song has just one line in verse 21. Sometimes you just don't need a lot of words, you know? She says this, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. That's her summary. So I haven't been able to get past this moment. And I've, as I've been sitting with it, here are some things I've been thinking about. First of all, Miriam, again, was born into a system. She was in an oppressed, enslaved people group. Her oppressors, Pharaoh, conducted a genocide of every boy that was born into families like hers. So as a child, she's effectively trying to keep her brother alive, and she was successful. She has seen, at this point, powerful plagues in something of a showdown between God and Pharaoh, and there were times where it didn't seem sure, like, who's going to win? And she saw all of that. And then as her brother finally entered and accepted his calling, she heard this refrain repeated over and over and over again by her brother, who said, let my people go so that they may worship me. 
I think it was telling, is telling, this repeated refrain that Miriam had heard over these years. Because perhaps liberation and deliverance is always meant to lead to worship. But in this moment, in Miriam's life, and she says, again, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. What she's effectively saying is, God is more powerful than the men that enslaved us. That's it. But I want you to try to imagine, again, Miriam has grown up powerless, oppressed, traumatized. And any good trauma recovery or healing journey, by the way, starts with safety. The trauma actually has to stop in order for healing to occur. And this, this right here, imagine all the things that she has lived with and around. You can imagine her nervous system has been activated. She's been hypervigilant most of her life. This is the first moment Miriam is safe. This is it. It's the first moment. And I would expect a long journey of healing before her, and yet this is the moment she's able to declare, my God is more powerful than all the things, systems, oppressors who have hurt me. She's finally safe, finally liberated, and immediately she becomes a worshiper and a worship leader. Bonus. I think God lets, wants us to know how important Miriam's leadership is through the prophet Micah. In Micah 6.4, God says, For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. It was ordained that Miriam be a leader of God's people. So let me jump to the New Testament for just a moment. Some scholars refer to Jesus as the new Moses, right, delivering, delivering all of us, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, as the new Miriam. Indeed, the Greek name Mary is the equivalent of the Hebrew name Miriam. And there are some other similarities here, things to sort of, that are worth pointing out. When Herod, King Herod, realized that he had been tricked, you'll remember this from Matthew 2. I know you all have all been hanging out in Matthew lately. He orders all children, not just male babies, but all children in and around Bethlehem under the age of two to be killed. Again, another genocide. Ironically, Joseph took Mary and Jesus to Egypt uh, to find some safety from that. But Jesus is born in and around oppression, genocide, and fear. Miriam, a leader in scripture, who was without a husband and child, which is rare, Mary becomes the mother of God. Where Miriam delivers the deliverer in Exodus 2, Mary also delivers or gives birth to the deliverer. As Rachel Held Evans beautifully articulated, before Jesus could ever say, this is my body broken for you. Mary had to say, this is my body broken for you. And finally, where Miriam sings a song of deliverance and liberation, so does Mary sing a song of deliverance. 
which we find, of course, in the Gospel of Luke. And I'll just read a brief portion of it. You can find it in Luke chapter 1. She sings, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. In other words, my God is more powerful and good than the powers around me that seek to oppress. Mary is a worshiper and a worship leader who points us to a God who is more powerful than that which preys upon our powerlessness. So what does any of this have to do with Sanctuary Night? Friends, I want to tell you that Pharaoh seems strong. Herod seems strong. The enemy seems strong. The women who come into Sanctuary Night are facing some of the great forces of evil in this world. Poverty, a housing crisis, mental unhealth, addiction to street drugs, profound amounts of interpersonal trauma, sexual exploitation and trafficking, criminalization of their survival, isolation, shame. We are desperate to see liberation yet again. We need the church because part of what you carry into the space is your belief in a God who is more powerful than all those things. And part of what you carry, especially you, vineyard people, is your song of triumph. We who are on the front lines every day, we get out of tune a little bit. And to be completely honest, right now, we're struggling. About half of our team is burning out, pretty tired. We need you to remind us that it's true that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate these women from the love of God. And we need you to do all of that without saying it directly most of the time. Your words are not usually what is needed, but your presence is. So we do see it, liberation, in doses. And so before I invite Nancy up, I want to say this by way of introduction. In Nancy, I see a Miriam. I see a Mary. Nancy is a worship leader like Miriam unabashedly pointing us to our great liberator. Nancy, who has not always been the mother she's wanted to be, is the mother of God. Because as Meister Eckhart says, we are all mothers of God, for God is always needing to be born into a situation. Nancy births God into our space and our work. I asked Nancy recently about a verse or a passage or something that's been especially meaningful to her in her journey. She told me Romans 8.28. Y'all know the one. You can say it with me if you know. Uh, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. By the way, this for me, when I hear this verse, sometimes I'll admit to you as a pastor, I am not probably should say these things, but it's like an eye roll verse for me. Like, okay. And I think it's because it's a verse that's been used as a trite platitude with people for as long as we probably can remember to basically say your suffering isn't that bad. That's the relationship I've had with this verse for a long time. But I'm telling you, when I hear Nancy quote it, it hits different. 
By the way, Nancy is not the only survivor I've worked with who has quoted this particular verse. And you know what that tells me? There's something, I think, specifically about the phrase, all things, all things. I told you earlier that the first necessary stage in any kind of trauma, recovery, or healing journey is safety. The second stage is remembering and making meaning. So what could make more meaning for Miriam, for Mary, for survivors of trauma than believing in a God in a God who can look at all the pain, all the suffering, sin, brokenness, and say all things. I can do something with that. Nothing, nothing is wasted. And I think that that would be Nancy's sermon if she were giving one today. I think she would say, hey, if God can use all my things, he can use all your things. So to help us wrap up today, I'd like to invite Nancy to join me. She's like, okay, settle down. <clears throat> okay, so I want to start by just asking you to share whatever you feel safe and comfortable to share today about your story, uh, what you've experienced and been through, how you got out of the situations you were in, and then I have a couple more questions. I just want to start by saying thanks for having me here, guys. Um, okay. Say I stand before you today with um, almost eight years sober, um, but but that comes from a um, that verse. First of all, just working through my whole entire life. Um, it's funny that Jeff was speaking on the sanctuary. Um, to start out with because, you know, I went through all these adverse child experiences as a child, and um, my escape was always the Sunday school bus that went past my house. Um, nobody went to church with me. I just knew that bus went by, and um, I would get up and dress myself and get on that bus and go to church, and that was my escape. And... Uh, and then growing up, like, my grandma, like, always carried a Bible around and, and uh, was always uh, handing me and my brother pieces of paper with um, a Bible verse on it and money inside. So, <laughs> yes. But, um, you know, uh, by the time I was 17 years old, I had two kids and I was married because, like, um, all of the things I went through, I was still looking for an escape, and um, I had no guidance um, throughout my life. Uh, so I, I chose boys. And um, before I was 18, nine days before I was 18, now I tell you I was married by the time I was 17, so nine days before I turned 18, 
I quickly realized that I made a big mistake by marrying this man. And I'm looking to the newspaper um, for a job to be able to pay for this divorce and um, get a place and secure custody of my daughter and do everything that I needed to do. While at the same time, my mother was not speaking to me because I married the, the guy. Like, she signed the papers, but she at that point, she was like, I'm not speaking to you ever again if you marry him. So I'm all alone. Um, and I find an ad in the newspaper that said, $100 a night guaranteed. So on my 18th birthday, I started working at a strip club. And working at that strip club, um, you know, um, I'm still looking for an escape. So, of course, I'm trying one drug after another um, and still um, escaping with men. And uh, I met this guy who eventually became my first drug dealer and my trafficker. Um, and that life took, took hold of me for 26 years. I um, had five prison numbers. I was homeless, um, addicted. I wasn't a mother to that daughter that I um, wanted that job to keep. Uh, all my dreams and hopes were dashed and I didn't believe in myself. I had, you know, like, I didn't have a foundation where anybody showed me that I was worthy. And then as an adult, like, n still nobody showed me that I was worthy. And I couldn't find it in myself. So, um, but eight, fast forward to eight years ago, I went to prison for my fifth prison number after 26 years in the streets. And when I went to prison, I was still in admissions. My daughter had followed me into addiction. Um, and it was December, two weeks after I got put in prison. Um, the woman that I was living with put my daughter out. And she's addicted, and I was supplying her high, so she didn't have to endure the streets and the things that I did to get high. And I thought to myself, oh my God, what have I shown my daughter? And what am I going to do now? And what's, I'm not going to be able to forgive myself if something happens to her. And I'm in prison. And so at that point, I just um, didn't look back. I Unlike every other prison number f before, I just did my time and I hung out in the yard and just hoped for an early release. This time I took active steps to bettering myself and I um, got involved in a drug program in there, which I had been a part of many times before, but because like the court said, hey, you gotta go do this. Um, <laughs> but, um, so I did that drug program and I also fell back on my faith that had been there through my journey all along. Cause like, even though I was doing what I was doing, like I, 
I still never felt like God left me or that, um, yeah, I just never felt like God left me. And um, I became involved with this church Bible study thing. And so when I got released, I wasn't on probation or parole, and I had the pastor pick me up from prison because in, I was determined this time I was going to do everything different. Like, so I didn't go back to my mother and father, which was the source of a lot of my trauma this time. I went to a faith-based housing and got this job. I got out in April 17, and by May of 2019, like, I had succeeded in doing a lot of things. Like, May of 2019, I bought my first home. After 26 years in the streets, I never... Thank you. I never thought that um, I would be a homeowner, but like, so I say all that not to say that like, this is what I've accomplished, but, but this first few years of my life out of prison, I was sober and I was accomplishing goals, um, but all I was was sober. I wasn't, um, I wasn't living. You know, I was working this job just to like say, hey, I got this house or and, you know, I, yes, I wanted to stay sober, but like I said, I still wasn't living. And then um, a friend of mine says to me, um, a friend that I had been in addiction with who had also recovered and had been a part of the catch program and had moved on into other fields, says to me, hey, I'm going down here to volunteer at Sanctuary Night. Would you like to go? And at that time, we were still in lower lights. And um, when I walked in that building and seen some of those familiar faces that I had been out there with for so long and just seen, like, when, I, when we made eye contact, I seen that hope in their eyes that, wow, you was out here with me all that time and look at you, like, just seeing that hope in their eyes um, is something that, you know, just your average person can't see unless you've been there. And I knew at that point in time that I was where I was supposed to be. Now, I still continued my job <laughs> at this factory that got me where I was. But point being is, like, I didn't start living and thriving until I became a part of the community at Sanctuary Night. People like Hannah and Gwen and, and people that just told me, hey, you're worth it. And things I didn't hear in my life at all and kept me in bondage and just searching for things, you know. And um, now today, like I, I gave up that job almost two years ago to um, – come and work full-time at Sanctuary Night because this is where I belong um, and this is where I can do God's work. Like I, like she said, I, like that, that scripture, Romans 8 and 28, like he uses all things and like I don't think that God chose me to do what I did. You know, he allows free will, you know, and he just, he used everything that I did in my life to prepare me even though that wasn't what he chose for me 
he still used all of that stuff to be at this beautiful place and to be helping these women who are like I once was. And, and like, it's something for me to stand out here and look at you because a lot of times I still get, like, huge imposter syndrome. And uh, so, like, standing up here talking, like, sometimes I, there's that still part of me that still deep-rooted that says I'm not worthy, you know, but for me, like, being, like, seeing myself in the place of the women that I serve on a daily basis, to have someone that I feel I'm not worthy of to look at me and, you know, just show me some care and some attention and show me that I am worthy speaks volumes to do what Jesus did, and, you know, he didn't cast people out because of what they did, you know? Um, I think I'm going to end on that. Okay. So I have two just quick questions for you. First of all, can you speak to what the church can do? And why, why do we need the church to get involved? So, um, there's a lot of ways the church can help, like um, meals, if, if that's your thing. Volunteering, if that's your thing. If we always need a handyman around the building, if that's be me being building manager and I have to call, you know, the handyman all the time. We always need a handyman. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, we need the church to be involved because, like, our hearts are for Jesus, right? Like, and Jesus was about people and connection and reconciliation. And, and without connection, you can't be reconciled. Okay, last question, and I didn't tell you about this one. But I've heard you say this before, so I wonder if you could just speak really briefly about your favorite part of the Sanctuary Night building and why. So my favorite part of the Sanctuary Night building is the tables in our kitchen. Um, one, because that's where, like, community happens. Like, we don't serve to-go meals. You know, we s serve people individually, and then they sit down at these really long tables and have community. You know, Jesus had the feast at this table throughout, you know, and this table, like, represents that to me, one, and just community is beautiful um, when you don't have it and you don't have a safe space. Um, and two, because, so, um, for those of you that don't know, the, um, 
there wasn't a building like Sanctuary Night when I was out there for 26 years, and I was always, you know, going to this guy's house and having to do something to shower and lay my head down or whatever. Um, and also because the beauty of Sanctuary Night in, in my heart is the property where Sanctuary Night sits um, was one time a, ver a source of my trauma. It was uh, at one point seized by the United States government in uh, human trafficking. And somewhere along the line, we were able to gain possession of it. And Hannah so decidedly just demolished that place of trauma and built this beautiful sanctuary in place of it. And just the metaphor of that, my God. Um, so it's beautiful to me. The table, by the way, is made out of two doors that we took off of that building before we demolished it. And so just like the table that we're gonna get ready to eat at together, it's a table that where we can remember um, both our stories um, as a neighborhood, as a community, and be remembered, rejoined, reconnected to the community that's there. So um, thank you so much for allowing us to share about this work this morning. It means a lot. Again, your hospitality is wonderful. Corey. Hey friends, um, in just a minute we're going to transition to a moment in sharing in the Eucharist together of coming to the Lord's table, but um, I want to take just a quick minute of silence. I just want to take a quick minute to receive um, the great gift that has been offered in the words of wisdom and experience and the work of the Spirit uh, with us in this room, and so um, let's just take a, a brief moment of silence as we receive and prepare to come to the Lord's table. At this time, if the, um, the prayer ministers want to come, to the side of the to side of the room and into place, I invite you to do so. Looks like the band's already in place. We are here because Jesus extends to us an invitation. Strangers and friends, believers and doubters, the certain and the curious. It is always in mixed company that Jesus gathers and invites to his table, where in bread and cup he meets us, and through him. We who are different are joined together as one body. Come not because you understand, but because you are understood. Come not because of how you feel, but because God has food for you. Come not because you feel deserving, but because Jesus invites you and welcomes you just as you are. Scripture invites us to examine ourselves before coming to the table. As we come to the table, we discern the body of Christ. We see those who, uh, 
we see those around us who Jesus is joining together and we remember those who, that we, the, through our sin, have broken fellowship with and have not welcomed as we ought. As we express and we confess and we come before God, let us sing a song of confession. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took this cup also saying that this cup is a new covenant in my blood, poured out for you and for the forgiveness of sins. Do this, and as often as you drink, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. Send now your spirit among us. Come with your presence in this bread and in this cup that we may come forward and present ourselves to you as living sacrifices. We may taste and see your goodness, be united in your love and become one body, your hands and your feet in this world. Friends, I invite you to come forward as we continue in worship to take the bread and dip it into the cup and receive at the Lord's table. All are welcome here. The bread is gluten-free. If, uh, if you need an individually packaged um, communion cup, just see the server at the front. Friends, come forward and let us take and eat. And uh, I want to encourage you as you're standing and coming forward to receive communion, because we have people to pray for you. And I loved what Hannah shared and how Nancy underlined this, that healing begins when you're in a safe place, in a sanctuary. And this is the place that, where so many healing journeys have been initiated. And if you're like me, re-healing journeys, it's not a one-stop deal. We'd like to stand with you in solidarity in the initiation of whatever healing you need today stand with you in solidarity by praying for you. So as you come up, receive the elements and experience the real presence of Jesus Christ, we encourage you to also amplify that through the experience of getting prayer. And I just want to get a little bit more specific. Um, I just had a sense that while Nancy was talking about her sobriety, that there are one or two of you that had a sense of hope rise up in you. If you have experienced or presently experience addiction in any way, um, it takes a step of vulnerability, I know, but I would love to pray, to pray that your healing journey would begin, maybe even today. <laughs> 